Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. It doesn't matter if you are Jewish or you are Buddhist or you are Christian. It doesn't matter. It's a human question. Machine that happened in the Holocaust building camps and got chambers was not a model who are repeated after the Holocaust. But this way of killing people, a man killing another man, is the way that humanity has been uh, for forever and is still happening today. So it's not only to bring a memory, but I think it's to bring conscient act and we take the good decisions, we could do something to change the world and stay optimistic. Marco Gonzalez is the director of Yahad and Umen, Together in One, which is a Paris-based nonprofit organization dedicated to discovering genocidal practices wherever they are found around the world and providing documented proof of crimes against humanity and as a leading voice of protest on behalf of all past and present victims of mass murder. In accord with its original mission, Yahad and Umen unveiled the lost history of World War II, the so-called Holocaust by Bullets, in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. Yahad and Uman pioneered a proprietary application of modern forensic research to uncover the killings of more than 2.5 million Jews and Roma and the location of more than 2,300 mass murder sites, while interviewing more than 5,700 witness testimonies on the war crimes of the Nazi death squads. They're in a race against time because realistically, no more than three years remain to capture the eyewitnesses' accounts of living witnesses and locate the remaining mass killing sites before all living testimony is silenced forever. Marco's work with YIU also has a deep personal resonance. Growing up in Guatemala, he was keenly aware of the abysmal human rights record in that region and especially the systematic mass killings perpetuated by the military dictatorships of an estimated 200,000 ethnic Mayans, mostly during the 1980s. Now his work is allowing him to raise awareness of the Holocaust to the Guatemalan population and also the possible parallel to what his home country has experienced in the last 30 years. Marco has helped found the first and only museum of the Holocaust in Central America. The museum trains hundreds of educators each year in a state-supported curriculum that examines the Holocaust by bullets, with more than 50,000 students having visited the museum so far. In 2017, the museum was nominated by the Leading Cultural Destination Awards for Best New Museum of the Year in South and Central America. In November of 2017, Marco was instrumental in launching Yahad and Uman's Holocaust by Bullets Enhanced Teacher Training Seminar to over 50 current and future educators in Denver, Colorado. The program is designed to equip educators with the tools and resources to teach the recently discovered history of World War II. In 2018, the program was customized for museum professionals during a week-long program for over 130 museum guides and staff members of the Auschwitz Museum in Poland. Marco is currently looking to expand the program across the U.S. Interviewing Marco Gonzalez was such a pleasure today. 
The stories he's able to tell and the atrocities he's able to capture would seem to really break someone down and cause for a lot of sense of pessimism and loss of hope. And he is this beacon of light that like is able to bring awareness in a way that's very optimistic and hopeful and, and makes you feel responsible, but makes you feel capable of, of taking small actions in your life to bring awareness to what's going on and to play a, a part in stopping it before it gets started. I think that message is really necessary to share. I'm so thankful that I'm able to share that message in my podcast because I know very little about this topic um, that we talked about today. I'm really thankful that the podcast was able to be found by him and his assistant, and he was able to reach out. His story ended up getting shared on in this episode you will be listening to. So I really hope that you can be present for it, to listen intently, to really um, take some of his understandings and truth and seriously consider them for yourself. It's kind of hard. It's hard for me to form the words to share it right now in an introduction, but I think it's necessary. And it would definitely help to refine your sense of purpose for others. Yeah, I'm really thankful I get to share um, that story of Marco Gonzalez and his life he spent working with um, exposing hidden genocides, human atrocity, um, crimes against humanity. Very, very interesting, very powerful. If he can maintain optimism and hope, I think we all can. Thank you for listening, and I, I really hope you enjoyed this episode today with today's person of purpose, Marco Gonzalez. Hello, Marco. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, good morning to you. I'm so happy that we're able to have this phone call when you're in New York and I'm in San Francisco and I'm on a Sunday. It's, it was a lot for me to wake up at 7.30 a.m. on a Sunday, but I'm doing it because I really want to break down your story and share your message. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for reaching out to me, too. Um, having Jason and your assistant reach out, like, you bring a brand new perspective that I've never encountered in my personal life or definitely in my podcast life. I'm really excited to provide a lot of enrichment around a topic that I think is really kept out of the public discussion so much that it's not on people's radar. I'm really happy that you get to shed light on that topic and how it's informed your sense of purpose. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. So one thing I'm really curious about is it seems there's like there's two types of dispositions people can take. So I want to know, like, based on what you've seen and found out, do you identify as a pessimistic or an optimistic person? I think that we have to keep optimistic. I think that um, even when you see a lot of evil all around you and when you see a lot of catastrophes and when you see a lot of uh, bad people around you, you have to keep optimistic because there's always a group of people who will do the good things and a lot of people who will act to avoid that awful things happen. So you need to keep optimistic yourself. And I consider through the work that I'm doing, one of these people who is really engaged to make things change. Ah, that's awesome. That's really inspiring that you maintain optimism. How, how do you do it? How do you maintain optimism when you see, you see some of the worst of, of human behavior? How do you maintain optimism? I think that is acting. I think that when I wake up every morning, I believe that I'm doing something good for humanity, that I'm doing something good for the next generations, that I'm doing something good to change our society. So um, I, that, that gives me energy and that keeps me optimistic, as you say, but it's because we are acting. We are not just uh, giving theories, but we are really doing something in the field when we are uh, revealing a part of uh, the evil that is on earth and at the same time we are helping people today so uh, when you are acting you keep yourself as uh, someone who is doing something good for uh, the humanity right and you, uh, you, you use the word acting I want to break down what you mean so much by that does that mean that you are taking actions to to change the way things are or you're creating a feeling in yourself that isn't actually there, but you make it be there by being an actor. What, what do you mean? Is it a combination of both? Well, yeah, I think it's a combination of both. But, well, I I'm, I'm have the responsibility because I'm the director of this organization, Jihadi Nudum. Mm -hmm. And we've been investigating since more than uh, 15 years 
the killings of all the Jews, Roma, and other victims in Eastern Europe. So we have teams playing the field to find the old people, those who were children or teenagers at that time. And today they're giving the testimony and they're telling us what happened. And they are showing us where are the mass graves because we realize that in fact, all these millions of people who were killed in Eastern Europe were not, never buried and they are uh, forgotten in, in killing places. So this is part of the responsibilities that I have to bring up this to today to the people to realize that there is a crime has been not uh, un uncovered completely. And uh, at the same time, we realize that this happened 70 years ago. It has not been revealed to the general public, but things are happening after the Holocaust. And uh, if you turn on the TV and you see what's going on in uh, the Middle East, uh, we realize that there are a lot of uh, killings that uh, terrorist groups are committing another genocide. And that's how we began also to do some uh, interviews on the just city survivors. The just city has been killed by the ISIS uh, since the last three, four years. So we realized that this evil that I mentioned in the beginning of the interview has been present 70 years ago during the Holocaust, but it's still today happening awful things on earth. So conducting teams, going in the field, doing these interviews, helping the people, revealing what happened, this is what I call acting, doing something that is changing the world. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love how you put that. Acting is, yeah, your tiny action you take every day to change the world is what, what brings you closer to that work. I, I want to know, like, how is someone from Guatemala um, so active in research on the Holocaust? Well, you know, this is a um, question that comes up every time when people uh, want to know more about who I am and, 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 and the work that I'm doing with uh, Jihad in Unum, with the organization. And um, one of the questions is because as we are doing a lot of research on the Holocaust is, are you Jewish? And um, it's like people, they believe that you need to belong to certain people to get interested in investigating of something that happened with, with, with these people. And um, I was a well, I'm not Jewish. So the next question is, so why are you doing this? And I say, because it's important for humanity that we do this work. It doesn't matter if you are uh, Jewish or you are Buddhism, if you are Christian, it doesn't matter. It's a human question. So um, I, I grew up, I was born in Guatemala. I grew up in Guatemala. Um, it's a country where there, there's no anti-Semitism. It's a country who has been always friendly with Jews. And I, um, I have Christian backgrounds. I'm Protestant. And in my family, they were always telling that um, Jews are the special people from God. And uh, helping Jews and doing something for the Jews is something that brings the good things to your life because uh, it has a blessing from God when you're doing this. So for me, it just when I got involved in this project and I started to understand what happened in Eastern Europe and how it was important to reveal to the world all these killings of the Jews in Eastern Europe, for me, it was evident that I was doing some, something good. So um, I'm, I'm coming from Guatemala. There were some problems in Guatemala, some killings in Guatemala. So it was something that it was not totally unknown by myself. And I'm glad that I could do that uh, for the Jewish people and today for the Jesuit people and a few uh, investigations that we have conducted also with among the indigenous people in Guatemala. And then you realize that it's not only a question of the Holocaust, but there are a lot of things that happen in the world that need to be revealed. Right. So what was your direct involvement with genocide before you really jumped into this work? What, what got you um, so started with with this line? Like, were you directly involved with things happening? No, not at all. I think that I was just a, a, a normal, young, 
man in, in Guatemala studying, having friends, going out, and uh, trying to ignore what was happening around in the world. Uh, then I met Father Debois, who is the president and the founder of uh, this organization. And I uh, will say that he has been an inspiration for my life, as he has been for many other people, because he had not only the faith, but he understands the need of doing something for the others. And um, I went to France to learn French. I uh, was at the Alliance Francaise uh, uh, for six months, and that was a very intensive course that I wanted to take to learn French. I had English, Spanish. I did business administration in, in the university in Guatemala, which doesn't have anything to do with genocide. And um, then there was a project to bring people from the Spanish government to know more about the Holocaust and what happened in Poland in the concentration camps. And uh, Father one knew people uh, who were living in Spain and who contacted him to organize this trip. And that's how I got involved. And I told him, well, you live in a half free time in the afternoon after the school, so I could set up that program for you. I mean, I, I speak Spanish, so that would be easier for me. And that's how I got involved. And even if I read a lot of things about the Holocaust before I, I, I went to Europe, then uh, going in the field with these people from, from Spain, who I realized that they are Europeans, but they didn't know too much about the Holocaust, and we were almost at the same level of knowledge. I uh, realized uh, the magnitude of this, uh, of the genocide, and, and then it was kind of evident for me that if I had the opportunity to continue doing what Father Bois was doing for so many years, uh, I, will, I will definitely uh, go and change my life for that. Yeah, yeah. So what, what did Father Bois tell you or ask you in the beginning of your relationship that, that helped you to realize for yourself that this is an interesting topic for you that, that you feel drawn to? Do you remember anything he shared with you around that time? I, I, I think that something that I cannot forget is when we were in one of the concentration camps. It's Belsek. Belsek is not far from Ukraine. It's near to the border between the Ukraine and Poland. And we entered in that um, wood or part of the wood because there was nothing from the camp. Uh, at that time. Today, there is a big museum and a, a, a big memorial uh, in that place. But at that time, I'm talking about 17 years ago, uh, there was nothing. And walking in the forest, I saw the bones. I saw bones outside of human beings. And Father Watt told me about what happened there. And then I realized that everything that we knew about the Holocaust, um, there were still a lot of things that we need to, to do, and that there is a lot of uh, work of memory for the victims of the Holocaust that needed to be done. And uh, this was a kind of inspiring for me yeah. uh, to see that there's, some, there's something that we could do because, um, I mean, what, more, more than 50 years after the Holocaust, um, still these bones uh, from, from the Jews were not protected and respected. Mm-hmm. Talk more about that memory part of it. How can we bring awareness to this um, in a way that heals people who experience it or tells the story properly? Yeah. How do you go about reconstructing that memory for people? And what do you think about when you're doing it? How does your purpose play a role in, in how you reconstruct that memory? Well, I think that more of a work of memory because what we're doing with the organization for the Holocaust uh, in Eastern Europe is collecting the proofs of what happened. We are working on the archives. We have Soviet archives, we have German archives, and then we have the interviews of these people who, the genocide, who, who saw the killing and who know today where are these killing sites. So um, I think that more of a work of memory is bringing up the evidence. And then you realize that were other killings, there were other uh, mass killings and other genocides after the Holocaust. And what happened in Eastern Europe, we watched a handmade Holocaust because a man 
kill another man. It was not a camp. It was not gas chambers, but there were uh, killings happening in each village. It happened after that. I had the opportunity to go to Rwanda like three years ago. And when I learned what happened in Rwanda, there were a lot of uh, uh, similar facts of what happened in, in Eastern Europe. Uh, when we were in the small villages in, in Kiche area in Guatemala to uh, investigate about what happened against indigenous people in the, in the, 19th, in, in the 80s in, in, in Guatemala, we realized that this way of a man killing another man, it, it, it just repeating uh, year after year. And today we go in Iraq and we collect the interviews of the Jesuit people and this is happening again. And this is a man killing another man. So this machine that happened in the Holocaust building camps and gas chambers was not a model who are repeated after the Holocaust. But this way of killing people, a man killing another man, is the way that humanity has been uh, for forever and is still happening today. So it's not only to bring a memory, but I think it's to bring conscience to the new generations, to the next generation as well, that this happened 70 years ago, and that we say, well, this was so long time ago, this was not the story of my mother, this was not the story of my grandfather, but this was maybe the story of my great great father. But um, listen, what we are, um, when, we, when you study and when you analyze what we are bringing, uh, what we are learning from these from this killings, from this uh, genocide, is uh, exactly the same model what is happening today. So it's more than a, than a, a memory work. I think that it's um, bringing up the evidences and building conscience to the next generation that this model is still happening today. And what is that model like? Can you break that down a little bit? Um, how does it work? What what is what is happening today that was happening at the Holocaust? And do you, do you have any explanations for how it transforms into being this terrible thing it becomes on a on a big scale? First of all, there is a, um, a belief. The perpetrators, the killings, they believe that killing another human being for any reason, it's something good to do. The Germans, the Nazis in, in, during the Second World War, they thought that killing Jews, killing the Roma, that was something good to do because they were not good enough. They were not considered even human beings. That it was a way to clean society. When you analyze what happened in, 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 in Guatemala uh, among the indigenous people, uh, many of them were considered from both, from the army or from the guerrilla, it doesn't matter who killed the indigenous people, they were, only, they were, they were considered also as a second-run human being. So doesn't matter what, what matters the life of an indigenous people in the middle of the woods in, in Guatemala. Nothing. They didn't do that in Guatemala City. They did it in the smallest villages in, in, in Kiche. And today when you go in Iraq and ISIS, they enter in a village and they're following almost the same protocol that the Nazis did during the Holocaust. They get into the village, they are surrounded the people, as the ISIS surrounded the, the just city people today. Um, most of the time they began to kill the men, like the ISIS is killing the men, the just city men today. And well, what, what is different is during the Holocaust is that they continue killing also women, all people, children, because the goal for the Nazis was to exterminate all the Jews. With ISIS, what is happening is they, after they killed the men, the women, they became um, sexual slavers. And the children, they are given to other families, so they train to become terrorists as well. But, you know, it's the same protocol. It's, they consider that the Jesuits are not good enough to be alive on Earth. So they believe that, um, the ICE believe that killing city people is something good that they're doing for the humanity. 
The problem is like it, as the Nazis, they had a list of people that they didn't consider good enough to, to, to stay alive. Is the ISIS today, they also have a lot of, of people after Jesuits, they consider that they are not good enough to be alive today. So, you know, is this, is this evil, and if we talk about, we are believers and we believe in, 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 in the good things and the bad things, and, 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 and this evil happened a long time ago and it's still happening uh, today. And that's right. why we need to act. We need to act and bring up this in the conscience of the next generations. Yeah, thank you so much for the work you're doing to bring that up into our conscious. Like, it, it's hard stuff to tell people that this thing exists. They, they, you know that phrase like ignorance is bliss. You feel good when you don't know what's happening out there. And you've taken on the role of being the messenger, someone that shares the atrocities of mankind with the next generation. And uh, you know, I think that it's very easy. I think that, um, during the Second World War, when you were not a Jew, were not a gypsy, where you were not a, uh, a gay, you were not a communist, I think that you could sleep very well. Uh, and I talk about myself as well. I was not communist in Guatemala. My family was not communist. I was not indigenous. So I could have a normal life. And I think that today there is such an indifference that if you know that you are not on the list of people who could be a victim, you just ignore what is happening and you continue your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't believe that the whole world is going to change, that it's going to wake up and say, oh my gosh, we need to do something. But I believe that a minority, some of the young people, some of the, 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 um, the next generation, they will wake up and they'll say no. We need to do something to stop this, and we need to do something to create conscience of what is happening. So I do believe in minorities acting today. Right. Why did you reach out to come to come onto my podcast? What What's the message that you want to deliver through a podcast? I'll say that um, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your religion you are, what sexual orientation you have, if, if you, what your family is coming from, I think that it's um, just important that you take conscience that um, the world is turning and that part of the world is burning and part of the world is not doing well and that sooner or later it could affect the, all of us. So we just need to uh, reach out to the people who are doing the good things. And um, if you are not, um, you, for example, you are doing a great job with your broadcast and you could send out positive messages with interviews and other people could do things in, 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 their, in their neighborhoods or with their friends, or they can support any organization who is uh, doing this kind of work. And this is a way also to act today yeah yeah, that's true it is a way of acting it's interesting that this is a way of acting um just subtle communication to bring awareness what is is like what is your i don't know what is the end goal to be once you're more aware do you think you start to behave differently are there certain things you want people to do Or, or is it just you find your your role in how to Bring awareness to others. What is the job of people once they become aware, once they have that consciousness? What are they supposed to do? Well, I think that first of all, I think that they they don't they they begin not to sleep well. <laughs> and uh, the second one, I think that um they they need to share it as as much as as possible. And um, I think that you when you turn on the TV and you pay attention to what is happening. You want to learn more and you want to know how to uh, help, how to act, how to support what other organizations are doing also to help uh, these people. And uh, slowly but slowly, I think that piece by piece, one by one, we could make something different. So I think that we want you understand and you have conscience that um, you need to act because uh, bad things are happening somewhere in the world, I think that um, you could also convince your friends or build content around you. And um, then you become responsible because we are all responsible. 
Right, right. Are you familiar with uh, what happened in Cambodia with the Khmer Rouge? Uh, a little bit, yes, a little bit. So you see this is the exact example of many awful things that happened after the Holocaust. And right. um, and, and, and I think that it, it when this was happening, nobody acted, nobody did anything. And that is something also that is a little bit frustrated. It's like we always build a museum or a memorial, or we do big speeches when the when when the the genocide is over. But uh, we don't act enough, and this is not only individually, but also the the the, the, the countries or the, the the people who are in power to do something. I I believe that we don't act enough. And uh, now after something happened, and when you're mentioning Cambodia, then we are uh, crying and, 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 and trying to, to ask for forgiveness or, or bringing the memory, and then it's too late. I think that we, today with the media, with the social media, with internet, with the TV, we don't have an excuse not to act when something is happening. Right, yeah, no, that's true. So yeah, history repeats itself. That's a very common phrase. Um, I'm also becoming a, a history social studies teacher, by the way, this year. So it's going to be really interesting to see the world through history. And you mentioned about how genocide repeats itself in different forms in different places and has for generations. So are you saying that our role is to interrupt that, to, to stop it before it starts to become something, to, to bring awareness to it as it's first starting? I want to know a little bit more about what, what, how to use media properly in a way to, to put into it or to, to solve it, whatever solving it means. I think that uh, media has a big responsibility of what is, uh, what is happening. I think that media has the power to bring um, the facts of what is happening. And I think that media also could do pressure on countries and on authorities also to, to make things uh, change. Um, I think that media is very powerful on the good way or on the bad way. So the people who are involved in media, they have the responsibility to um, bring this up to, um, to the society. Right. And um, this is a way of acting positively. What what's something Yahad and Umen has been doing with media to act effectively? We are um, having um, we're reporting and, and and sending everything that we're doing through the social media. That's not um, never enough, and uh, we've been in touch with some journalists. There were two big um, segments on sixty minutes. One on the work that we're doing in Eastern Europe, and another one on the work we're doing in Iraq for digital cities. So this was a good way to make awareness of, of what is happening, but it's um, never enough. I think that um, uh, we would like to have more uh, awareness of what we are um, doing and how we could um, build conscience on the people. And um, so and, and any idea and, and any people who could connect with media, um, I think that there's, there's not enough and there's a lot of much more that we could do. Right. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Could you send me those links or, or tell me how I can share those two 60 minute episodes um, with people? Sure. Thank you. And like you're saying, I think a really the most powerful way to engage with it is to actually experience it instead of watching it on a screen. I think that makes you still feel a certain degree of distance. For, like for me, when I went to Cambodia, I went to the killing fields, the um, genocide museums in um, Phnom Penh. Um, and, and you get to see the site that it was happening at and have like headphones where there's like testimony of the few survivors sharing what they saw in this space. And um, it just creates this very visceral, real feeling to where you really relate to it. Um, to me, I think that's the goal of effective media um, is to make it really resonate at a very internalized, real level. Yeah. So yes. however you can accomplish that, I personally think 
Um, that benefits my understanding. Sure, but you see, you took um, your own uh, initiative to go to see these places. How many people they go in tourism in all these countries? And the last question they had is to understand what happened there. I mean, I traveled Cambodia pretty extensively, and you see it in the culture. Like, it, it's steeped there because the generation before, like, a lot of them just lost their parents, lost their brother and sister, just went missing and never were found again because they were taken away and part of the genocide. Um, so there's this like profound sadness, this this fear to like take risks, um, this like embrace of of like poverty they're not going to try to to do so much to get out of it because it comes with that huge risk of what the government can do to them um and i, I want to know how that culture became that way and then what sense of hope there is for the next generation um because i was talking with young cambodian people and they're like yeah it's kind of difficult to be young here because you have all these ideas like young people have but your parish generation doesn't support them at all because what got them in the genocide was was young people's ideas talking about how the government could work in a more democratic way or be more um, idealistic and it involved killing millions of people. Yeah, so it's really, that was really interesting. I guess I'm interested in knowing from you how you think that um, the, the culture of a place can move, can heal together or forgive that or, or to accept it. Um, in a way that is hopeful and optimistic. What what possibility do you see for the population itself, the next generation within that population, um, for how they can redeem their, their country or their sense of culture or pride for where they come from? What solutions do you have for, for those people directly experiencing it? I do believe that first of all is uh, to people to know, to learn, what happened? Because um, in many societies, there are this um, culture of silence. So um, it, it happens to the parents, and most of the time, they don't transmit that to the next generation. And sometimes the next generation, they don't want to know what happened to their parents or to their grandparents. So I think that first of all is to um, know what happened, to recognize what happened, I think that this is something uh, that we need to learn a lot from um, from the Holocaust because there's not only um, a lot of material, a lot of evidences, a lot of uh, things that have been told from the victim side, but also there was a recognition from the German that they did this genocide. So mm -hmm. I think that when these elements, uh, there is a, a recognition from the perpetrators, and there is also a willing to know from the victim side. I think that then this could build a better society for the next generations. So I would say from the victim side is to really want to know what happened and to bring that in the memory from generation to another generation for uh, keeping this alive as part of who we are, mm -hmm. who they are. Right. If you're a teacher looking for a summer job that allows you to travel as far away from the classroom as you possibly can and still make good money, I have the perfect job for you. One way I was able to spend my last year and a half living in Asia and seeing so much in North America was because I worked online. I taught English online to Chinese students through VIP Kid. VIP Kid is one of the fastest growing startups in China. It started in 2014 and is growing rapidly because they pay teachers well, allow you to work from anywhere in the world with a stable Wi-Fi connection, and allow you to make your own schedule amongst all kinds of other support and benefits. VIP Kid uses their own platform and materials for their students that, in which they place students at their appropriate levels. They also do all the scheduling and payroll for you. You don't have to worry about the hassles of building lessons or curriculum either because VIP Kid has already done it for you. Classes are one-on-one -on -one video calls with students ages 5 to 12 in China. You just fill in your time slots and you're good to go. A class is essentially a 25-minute Skype or Zoom video session with an awesome kid and you work through the activities on the slides with them. 
The part I love is that you can work from the beach, the mountains, or any continent in the world. I've worked from Yosemite National Park, Montreal, Canada, New York City, the islands of Thailand, and the Philippines, just to name a few. Just make sure you have a stable Wi-Fi connection and your availability aligns with the after-school hours in China. Find out for yourself why more than 40,000 teachers and 300,000 students teach and learn with VIP Kid, and explore the greater world around you without having to forgo your paycheck. Trust me, the 20 to 30 bucks an hour will go a long way in most countries. So, what are you waiting for? Sign up today and start teaching as often as you wish. If you have a bachelor's degree, are a native English speaker from North America, and have teaching experience, experience can be loosely applied. You stand a strong shot with this rapidly expanding company. You don't have to be a formal teacher. The key is experience in teaching. VIP Kid will certainly open up your world like it has mine. To get started, just follow the links I've included in the episode show notes, and sign up with my referral code, zero two seven five KC, and we'll both get up to one hundred dollars in rewards once you teach your first class. Share culture. Open up the world for your students and begin your paid vacation today with VIP Kid. I thought it was really interesting when、um, when Germany won the World Cup in 2012. At that time, I went on.、Um, I was hiking for three weeks in Nepal with, and one of my yeah my best friend there was a German man, and he was explaining about how their country wouldn't let you wave your flags or have them like posted outside for more than just the next day. Because they they didn't want people to become too nationalistic, because that's what ultimately led to the Holocaust happening. That was like really interesting. That from the top of the government, they've created a structure to where they're going to try to prevent having another Holocaust, because people don't become too prideful in their people. Have you heard of other things like that happening?、Um, perpetrators changing their behavior in a in a way that That seems to prevent that sort of、um, collective action that leads to genocide. Sometimes, I think that I don't know enough. Besides Germany, I think that for me, the the, the most、um, extraordinary example of, of of this is what German、uh, did, how they ask for forgiveness and how they、uh, open archives and how they accept what they did. Because、uh, this is a way to heal also the the, the next generations.、Um, I have some German friends as well, and they、uh, they know that maybe some of their、um, relatives、uh, were involved in, in 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 during the Holocaust in the bad way, and some others also they. They know that their families helped Jews during the Second World War, so you know there is. But but it's it's not a hidden history. Is it Germany just accepted? And and unfortunately, I will say that there are not enough、uh, countries or nations or a、uh, group of people who accept what they did,、mm-hmm. and um, and and they accept、uh, that was a, a mistake. And、um, but I don't know enough. I mean, besides Germany, which for me is a big, big, big example. And you see, Germany is a very successful country today because sometimes people or nations they don't want to accept they committed some crimes or a genocide because they believe that、uh, the whole world is going to be against them.、Uh, but that was not the case for Germany. Right. So,、um, but yeah, example. And like you see it today, like the the Syrian refugee crisis. Germany was the country that accepted so many refugees.、Um, it seems like they've totally taken the opposite viewpoint、um, that they had just sixty, seventy years ago. That to me is is a, a small sign of hope that、um, if we can bring that awareness to where the perpetrator、um, recognizes that that they should admit this. And- Absolutely, this helps society to grow up and to go forward. Absolutely, I agree with you. Cool. <laughs> well, I don't know very much about this. I'm just like you know thinking、um, that that's yeah you know, that's really validating that that you agree with some thought that I have. Like, thank you for that. 
Um, <laughs> it's interesting that you do work in the hidden genocides. Why do you think that that is so important to you? to your purpose? Is it just for the action of bringing that awareness or is there something about telling people stories that, that brings you alive, that, that makes you feel compelled by, by a, a bigger thing than yourself? What is it, what's involved in, in, um, in stopping the silence for you? How does that play a role in your life to become more deeply committed to this, give more of who you are to this project? First, you, you, you mentioned something interesting where you, uh, that question, uh, you were talking about hidden genocides. And um, that is something that uh, needs to be changed in the people's mind. It's like, we do believe that the genocides, they're always hidden and they happen in, in secret. Uh, and this is also a way of not being respons responsible. Uh, or not wanted to see what is happening. But in fact, the genocide always happen in broad daylight. That is what we what we realize in Eastern Europe is we've been interviewing more than 5,000 uh, witnesses, non-Jews, not survivors, not perpetrators. They were, they were only, uh, as I told you, children or teenagers. Some of them uh, were just curious to see what was happening in, in, in the forest or next to the Jewish cemetery, and they just saw the killings because they were not hidden. And uh, there are a lot of thousands of photographs from the Germans that they took during, the, during these um, killings. And it's exactly what's happening with, uh, with, with ISIS in, in, in the Middle East. It's like if you look at the internet, they publicize the killings they're doing. They're proud of doing these killings. Right. But it's, uh, so, you know, it's, it's personally for me, uh, going in, in, in these places and, and, um, and doing these interviews and bringing the, the evidences, um, it's just another way also to say, well, this is just the confirmation of what is over there on, on internet. And that it was not a hidden genocide. In fact, the genocides are not hidden because more, more they are secret, less successful, successful they are. So um, most of the time there are thousands of witnesses that it's just happening in, in broad daylight. But uh, I think it's a, something, it's a human question that we don't want to see it. It's so violent that we rather do a close our eyes and look for something else because we don't want to take conscience of what is happening. But uh, most of the time, the genocide is happening broader life. Yeah. Do you see any connection between Holocaust deniers and what's going on right now with, um, with the fake news, how people don't believe news? And yeah, like, I don't understand what that psychology is about being a Holocaust denier. It seems like that, that gets in the way of us truly accepting what happened. Well, that if, if you analyze what we call the Holocaust deniers, first of all, they're, all of them, the reason why they deny the Holocaust is because they don't like Jews. There are very few of those. I, I don't even know if there are deniers from other um, uh, genocides or other... Um, uh, mass crimes uh, as much as they are for the Holocaust. But um, I don't know any Holocaust denier who likes Jews. So I think that this is, the anti-Semitism is something that has been um, always there. And uh, this, is why, this is why our work is important also, because we are just bringing the evidences of the crimes. Mm -hmm. We're bringing the archives, we're bringing the testimonies. Sometimes we find also the, the, the bullet in, in next to the mass graves or, or, or some jewels from the victims, Jewish victims next to the mass graves. So we're bringing the evidences because I think it's important. Uh, very soon there won't be any more um, survivors. And uh, the deniers, they are uh, still uh, active. But um, I think that if you analyze the Holocaust deniers, they don't like Jews. So the main reason why they deny Holocaust is because, because they don't like Jews. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like for me, my connection to something like this is what's happening in the United States right now, how 
the zero tolerance policy of Donald Trump and ICE um, is causing for families to be separated at the border and treated like criminals coming from places where they need safety. I know it's not genocide, but it seems like it has some of those beginning elements of something like genocide. And what do you think about the way that that this has been covered in the media and that actions have been taken? It seems like it has woken people up in America. And there's a lot of activism right now, ever since Donald Trump's been president, that, that didn't seem to be so active beforehand. Is that something we should feel inspired by, or how should we think about that? Well, I, I, well, I'm, I'm not American, so um, uh, it is hard for me to talk about the uh, politics of, of America. Is what I see through the TV with this um, case of the uh, immigrants. Um, I, I just compare it to something that happened, uh, I think, three or four weeks ago in Europe. But, you know, we have also problems with the immigrants in, in, in Europe, especially those who try to cross the Mediterranean Sea from Africa to Europe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if in the United States, they, um, they cover, if media, they cover what happened with a boat of 100 um, immigrants from um, Africa who um, were rescued in Italy. But any country in Europe wanted to take them. And there were uh, children, uh, mothers, I mean, women. Uh, and, and finally, um, Spain uh, decided to welcome them. So they mm-hmm. had to take the boat and they had to wait because the weather was that good in the Mediterranean Sea and they had to be, they couldn't even leave the boat. The boat was in the Italian coast and they had to wait for, I don't know how many days until they were able to cross the the Mediterranean Sea to go to to Spain, so it's it's that is something that is it, it's it's a big problem in in many in 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 many countries. Um, I I cannot say what is what is really happening because sometimes you it depends which channel you you're watching. The way the images are presented are different. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I don't know what's really happening, but I know that this question of immigrants is not only um, a question for the United States, but it, it's always for, for it's also for Europe. Um, yes. So it, it, it's harder to, to, to say something because I don't know what's really happening. Right. It's interesting how media just covers so much of what's going on in that specific country. Like American news covers America. And we, I mean, I think it's terrible how much we don't, portray what's happening in the Middle East when Syria and I mean it's my opinion that the United States was a major cause for so much of the destabilization of the Middle East that allows for something like an ISIS to to rise to power um yeah I I think that we could do a much better job as a as a powerful country that that shapes a lot of um ideas and discussions around the world we should be bringing more awareness to situations that are happening to people outside of America. I hope we can do that. Yes, um, and I'm sure you, you can do that. Yeah, that's a, through that's your, a huge goal. Your, through your emissions, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, so like along with that, I know you have about like three minutes until you said you need to, to go to catch your flight to Chicago. I wanna know more well, I about- um, I didn't see time. <laughs> what, is, what is like a, a 60 second idea you have to change the world? Go. <laughs> to change the world, that is very hard. I will need more than 60 seconds to do that. Um, uh, I think that each individual just need to take conscience that uh, we are in this world and we could act to do something good or something bad. So uh, just uh, think to yourself for uh, one minute and decide to do something and act. Uh, and I think that if we act and we take the good um, decisions, we could do something to change the world and stay optimistic. I think that there is a minority who is not sleeping well and who is doing their best to do good, good things to change the world. Wow, yeah, that's, that's beautiful.
what's the most beautiful thing you've ever experienced in your purpose and and the way that you go about changing the world? I think that um, something that really moved to me, what it just happened two weeks ago, because we were um, with a group of Orthodox Jews on a killing place in Poland. And uh, they discovered what happened there. There were still two witnesses from those killings who were alive and who camped in the place and, and they told the story and they share what they what they saw, what happened there. And at the end, this group of Orthodox Jews, they say the Kaddish in that place. And then for me, it was like, this is why we're doing the work that we're doing. This is why I'm so invested in doing this work. Because finally we gave back the Jewish victims to the Jewish people. And they came back to this place where there's nobody there. And they just came back and they realized that there are uh, Jews buried in that mass grave. And they say college. So finally, these victims were given back to the Jewish people. And this was something that touched me and moved me a lot and gave sense also to the work that I'm doing. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's amazing. Is there anything else you wish to share? Um, this is your chance to, to share yourself on, on this platform. One last idea to leave us with or thought or question. Now, just, just be optimistic. And when you turn on the TV or you look into internet and you see uh, something that is happening against a population or against um, another human being, just try to investigate more and try to understand what is happening and try to act and to see if there's an organization helping these people, if there's an organization doing research, or there's an organization uh, sending help to these people who need, really need help and support those organizations and, and, and share the study with your friends and then link between good people and go, to do good things. Yeah, that's amazing. So how can we help out Yahad and Uman? Uh, well, you can go to our website, um, which is uh, jahadinunum.com. Uh, I'll send you, in any case, the links for the 60-minute um, uh, pieces. Um, and, well, anything, you know, with, uh, um, we, we have um, some workshops in the refugee camps in, in Iraq, you know, with $100, uh, you are supporting uh, one of these children to have one week uh, of um, psychological support. So um, this is just a small way to, to help others and to build a better world. Is there any way to get involved personally to maybe go experience this refugee camp yourself, for example? Sure. Well, always um, we're looking for ambassadors of our mission. To, uh, to talk and um, and just well follow us and try to meet. We are um, doing our president is doing conferences in several countries in the United States, and we are doing also um, educational programs in 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 several um, uh, cities in the United States. So um, just um, follow us and 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 then try. Be, be connected, be, be in touch, and, and let's see if there's something that you could do also to support us uh, personally okay. in what we're doing. Yeah, you, you can send me the direct link, and then all the action people have to do is click the button to follow, and then they'll be in, in the cycle of awareness. Um, Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I feel much more aware of things than I, than I was before. And my thoughts or hypotheses are no longer just thoughts and hypotheses. They're actually grounded in someone who's spent their life experiencing these things and sharing takeaways and truths and stories. And I'm really thankful that me having a podcast to showcase people's stories has led me to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you for what you're doing.
So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 